Hi, everybody. Uh, no, I think, I think I can multitask. We'll see. If not, you can do it. Then you can <laughs> Was there a rude comment somewhere? No, no, no. <laughs> Someone told me recently that multitasking is actually really bad for your brain and does brain damage. It was a man who told me that, so I don't believe them. <laughs> well, I hope you've all had a wonderful, refreshing, and holiday, um, wonderful, refreshing holiday, although I'm sure that the stories are mixed knowing that life um, is not always as we plan. We did have a great week off. We went down to Tihoi, which is where Graham went to an outdoor venture school. It's part of St Paul's. I always get the school mixed up. And um, I'd heard so much about this place, um, and a few people here have probably been as well. And, uh, yeah, it was certainly in the sticks. Um, there was no reception or cell phone coverage, and it was wonderful to be off the grid. Um, the dog just ran amok the whole time, so that was... <laughs> quite fun. She got beaten up by a cat, which was a new experience for her. <laughs> yeah, and um, anyway, it was a good time, so I do feel refreshed, which is wonderful. I feel like God has been leading me a little for a little while now, calling in me into a deeper life of prayer. And um, I feel like this is especially significant for me this year. I'm not really one for New Year's resolutions. Uh, I used to w- write wildly unrealistic ones, like, I won't even tell you. <laughs> um, but usually by the time February came around, I'd totally forgotten them or I'd failed miserably. And um, yeah, But when it comes to my faith journey, I do uh, often feel God puts something on my heart. And uh, not that it's a resolve for me to do or strive, but perhaps more of an indication of where he's leading me, um, what he's going to teach me that year. In the beginning of the year really is a good time to take stock, isn't it? Where we recenter ourselves before God. Um, we may be carrying hurts and frustrations from the previous year, but um, we may be feeling excited and full of hope uh, or anything in between. But regardless, it can be a helpful excuse at the beginning of every calendar year to check our priorities and just check our alignment with the Lord. So as I said, for me this year it's prayer, and I feel like prayer is... One of those things that I constantly actually feel guilty about. Um, I don't pray enough. uh, I don't pray well enough. uh, I often say I'll pray for someone and then totally forget about it. Um, And I feel very inadequate about prayer, but it's something that I do want to become better at. And then slightly to my horror, I felt the Lord um, tell me that he wanted me to uh, start a series on prayer. And that it's not just a call for me uh, to learn about prayer in a deeper way, but for us as a whole church family at Abide. And I said, God, I can't possibly do that. And I said to Graham, I can't possibly do that. I can't uh, teach on prayer when I'm such a novice myself. And then I felt the Holy Spirit just say that we're all on this journey together. Um, So as we launch into this series, I just want to assure you, I'm not speaking from a place of authority uh, or a prowess, um, but I'm on this journey with you, and I'm excited to see where the Lord leads us uh, in this path. So the plan for today is I'm going to share a few thoughts on prayer, what I've learned so far, and then we're going to introduce the Psalms. We decided that if we're going to talk about prayer, um, it's a really good place to start in the Psalms, because it really is the prayer book of the people of God, and it has been for thousands of years, and it's still really important for us today. So without further ado, I'm going to start in prayer, and uh, then I'll get started. Father God, we thank you that you communicate with us and you desire for us to communicate with you. Sometimes it's so hard. Sometimes we, well, often we don't know what to say and we kind of come with these 
shopping list. And we kind of are at a loss at how to speak to you. So Father, I ask that as we launch into this series, that you would encourage us in a deep way, that you teach us how to pray, and you help us. And your Holy Spirit magnifies our prayers to the Father in heaven. So we come before you together, asking you to teach us, Spirit, to breathe your life on us, to breathe your life into our prayers. And we ask that you would bless this time together. Take my words and breathe your life into them. Amen. I'm going to start with a few questions, and I'm going to give you a few moments to quietly reflect on these questions. And um, then I might get you to be brave and just share your thoughts with the person next to you. What's prayer like for you? There's no point putting yourselves or trying to impress others. Impress others. It's a bit of a dead end straight, so let's just be honest here. <laughs> I was honest with you. <laughs> I'm sorry it's so small. Uh, do you pray? And if so, why do you pray? What delights you about prayer? What frustrates you about prayer? Maybe the delight question frustrates you. <laughs> How do you feel about praying alone or with others? Just have a few moments to reflect on that. Maybe chat to the person next to you if you're feeling brave.
Am I holding the microphone in the right place? Can you all hear? Okay, cool. Uh, anyone brave enough to share some of your experiences? Yeah. If I'm allowed to, it's the first time here. Yes, of course you're allowed. So, uh, sort of <coughs> take over. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've just had a, a tremendous experience, and believe it or not, it's only been in the last week or ten days, uh, about prayer. And uh, I used to pray, and I thought, oh, nobody's listening, you know, why isn't, he, why isn't he answering my prayer? But it's all me, 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 me. It's like a chocolate you're talking about. And I think he does answer it, but when he, I feel anyway, he, he wants to share with us. Yeah, we should absolutely. tell him that we love him, yeah. that, uh, that we're thankful for yeah. what he's done for us. Yeah, yeah. If he has, if he hasn't, ask him to do something for you. Yeah. So did you feel a response from him? Oh, can't believe it. Yeah. But what happens with me is, I get sidetracked in the day. You're not the only one. I get the dog sidetracks me, my wife sidetracks me. <laughs> food food sidetracks side me. But I get sidetracked, it's all me, 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 me during the day. But now I seem to be getting woken about three in the morning. Hey. And then I said, Lord, what about now? What, what, what say you? Help me to get with you right now. And he has. Um, very emotional. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was talking to you, but. I jumped straight to the frustration when I answered these, pre- these questions. Mine was all the monkeys that jump around in my head as soon as I sit down. I get sidetracked by my own head. Um, yes. um, similar to, sorry, what's your name? Oh, going to hear from some more people during this series. Does it? Uh, what difference does it? Not, what does? What difference does it make to know that prayer is a learned thing? For those of you who weren't quite so bold enough to speak, uh, some of us do struggle with prayer more than others, and for some of us, I think realizing that prayer is a learned thing is actually very helpful. 
It's interesting that for the disciples who were familiar with prayer, they were already Jewish, they prayed every day in their lives, they noticed something different in the way that Jesus prayed, and they asked him to teach them how to pray. So Jesus taught them, and that's where we find the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed earlier. And God helps us too. Prayer is a lifetime of deep learning, and God doesn't leave us to do it on, on our own, which is amazing. And this is the first point I want to make about prayer today, and one that I find deeply encouraging. I'm going to talk more on this in a moment, but I have discovered that prayer is the heart language of a relationship of trust in God. Prayer is the heart language of a relationship of trust in God. I need to thank my friend and colleague John Dennison for some of what I'm going to say today, but especially this articulation of prayer being the heart language of a relationship with God. I found that so helpful as I began to explore more of what it means to pray and how to think about prayer. Prayer isn't something that we get good at, more eloquent at, more Christianese. It's a learned thing. And the more we pray and the deeper we go into relationship with God, the more rare and honest our prayers actually become. More honest. God has spoken to us. He's called us into relationship with himself. And if we choose to accept that, we enter this relationship of trust with him. And with it, there is a deep call to prayer. So I'm sure everybody is at a different place on this spectrum. Um, But prayer is part of abiding in Christ. We talk a lot about abide last year, maintaining that crucial relationship with the vine. Prayer is like the lifeblood or the sap that flows between the branches and and the vine. Just think about some of the deepest relationships of trust that you have with someone. It might be a parent, it might be a spouse, it might be a child of yours or a friend. And the more you get to know them when you think about it, the easier it is to communicate with them, or it should be. And usually these relationships aren't marked by eloquent speech. Um, Graham and I don't sit around speaking in Shakespeare prose or refined high English conversation. Um, (laughs) We actually have just become more real and honest with each other. And that's the hallmark of a relationship with God, isn't it? The prayers that are part of our communication with God become more real, and we don't write more pious prayers the longer we walk with him or become more eloquent. And uh, that is the second point in prayer that I want to make today, is that we don't become good at praying or more eloquent, we become more real. <clears throat> and it's kind of like when you learn any other language, when you think about it, we don't master it, we're actually always learning more. Jenny would probably know a lot more about this than I do, because I've failed at every other language. Um, we don't just learn the words, but we learn a whole new way of life. We learn a new posture of being towards the world. You learn about the culture. You kind of can't separate a language from the people that you are learning about. Um, for any of you who have learned Te Reo Māori, you'll know that there is a separate way of life that is distinctly different, but kind of similar to the English. Um, but their values lie in different places. Your cultural posture is different, and you learn all of, that, all of that when you begin to learn your language. And in the same way, when we learn the language of God, we are opening ourselves up to a new way of being. We're adopting a new posture as the people of God. We never master the prayer language, so we can kind of relax that we're never going to become pros, but we dwell in it. We live in it more and more, and then we get to know the heart of God as we become vulnerable to him because he's made himself vulnerable to us. Prayer entails listening to the whole of our lives, the whole of our lives listening to become vulnerable to God. So the third point of prayer is to change. Pray is to change. Now this friend of mine, John, told me a story about um, a few years ago. He, he, was, he was very good at stuff. He was 
um, bright. He was on his way to becoming um, an academic. He was finishing off a PhD and he had great scholarship and job prospects. He had a wife and kids and suddenly through a turn of events he found himself in a place back in New Zealand uh, where nothing seemed to be going well. The plans had fallen through. He couldn't finish his study. Um, he didn't really enjoy the job that he ended up being. He had two young demanding kids. Um, they were under some financial stress. And he realised he became really angry. And um, he developed this massive road rage towards cars. And he's a cyclist. And uh, one day on the way home, he realised he was so angry as he was cycling uh, that if a car crossed him, he would literally throw his cycle through the windscreen of the car that had annoyed him. And all he could do at that point was to pray the Lord's Prayer because anything else that came out of his mouth would have been profanity. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. That's how he told me the story anyway. And he realised he was really scared of his anger. He uh, couldn't do anything about it. And he went, that home, went home that day and just committed to sitting in a posture of silent prayer for 15 minutes a day because he didn't really even know what words to use. Just sitting in the presence of God. And he felt like it was a complete waste of time, to be honest, and he felt like nothing was happening. But his wife, after six weeks, who didn't know what he'd committed to do, said she noticed a massive change in him. To pray is to change. And if we come with an agenda, we're coming with the wrong posture. To come in humility and honesty, but prepared for God to move and to change, that's how we become more like Christ. As we, as we grow in this relationship of trust with the Lord, we change and we move from wishing upwards in our prayers to delighting in God's friendship. We move from calculated requests to straightforward asking. We move from religiosity to obedience. We move from a sincere posture to one of honesty. Might be face down on the ground. We move from careful articulation to bold speech of pain, loss, joy, hope, struggle, honesty. We move from having lots to say in shopping lists to sitting in attentive silence. But like what Bill was saying. We move from knowing about God to knowing God's voice. We move from using our own words to recognising and beginning to pray God's words as we learn more of his heart. And as I said, prayer is not a technique for a set agenda. Point number four. Prayer is not about a technique or mastering something. It is not a technique for spiritual well-being. I know, I love how Catherine McNeil describes this. Our goal isn't to earn God's love or to catch his attention, but to exercise and to build our spiritual muscles by investing our time and energy in pursuing God, our hearts and minds are changed. We begin to find him, to make place for him in our spirits, our thoughts, and our identity. I'm sorry, I did mean to put that on the slide, but I forgot. <coughs> Prayer is not the manipulation for divine power. It would be great if it was, but it's not. Nor is it to manipulate others under the guise of prayer. Have you ever heard someone giving a mini-sermon to other people in a prayer circle disguised as an earnest prayer? Neither of these prayers are appropriate agendas or postures for prayer. It's not a cultivation of mindfulness, which seems to be the vogue thing to do these days. And there is a temptation to use prayer as an expression of piety. We're tempted to call on the God who we can fit neatly into our box. But the God of Scripture says, I am. I am who I am. 
He acts and speaks according to his will, not ours. God can't be tamed by pious prayer, so we might as well give up. Prayer is a way of being honest with God, but with a posture of openness to be changed. And we talk to God not in pious God talk, but fully realistic, knowing the weight of the fallen world around us. We can't pray in a vacuum, but we also know the reality of a creative and sustaining God who is acting in this world, and that's amazing. So, changing tack slightly, how do we pray if it's a learned thing? Well, we start by praying. Um, you can either start on your own or you can come alongside someone else. You can certainly pray on your own, of course, but there is something deeply uplifting and encouraging when we pray together as the body of Christ with one or two other people or a group of people. And I want to suggest today that we can look to the Psalms to teach us how to pray. The Bible assumes that we do not instinctively know how to talk with God, um, but rather we do need some help, just like the disciples did. So God gave us the Psalter, or the Book of Psalms, and it's believed that they were collected and collated in the time of the exile, and it's been part of Israel's worship for a long time before that. They became a, a hymn book for the people of God. They were in the midst of exile and disappointment. They were refugees. They were under someone else's rule. And uh, they needed this hymn book and this school of prayer. It wasn't a book of theology. That is, I heard someone uh, call it the school of prayer. It's also been called the gym. The gym that the Psalter has shaped the prayers of the people of God for thousands of years. So I'm just going to give you a few general words of prayer, uh, sorry, of Psalms, before we look at one in particular. Uh, this, this, this kind of talk today is more of an introduction to prayer in the Psalms, and we're going to unpack them over the next few weeks. I'm really excited about that. So the Psalms, uh, for some of oh, many of you will know some of this, um, they don't contain specific historical references, but rather they stand uh, independent of the original context, and they're designed for the people of all time to use them as the vehicles for praise and prayer throughout the story of God's people. Some of them have been attributed uh, to particular periods, for example, in David's life. Um, But scholars suggest that these aren't fully reliable. And um, it actually doesn't matter exactly who wrote which psalm and in what situation, because these psalms really are standalone and they're for the whole people of God for all time. Their authority doesn't come from knowing who wrote them, um, but from being the praises and prayers of that, uh, of people that God has accepted. And that, as I said before, they were used as God's worship and have been used in the thousands of years since by many generations of Christians. And the Psalms are where Christians have always learned to pray. They make it possible to say things that are unwise, otherwise unsayable. Some of us will be a bit shocked when we read some of the language in the Psalms. But it's in the Bible. Theologically, the Psalms are some of the densest material in the Old Testament. There is a huge concentration of statements about God that isn't found to the same degree anywhere else. And possibly one of the most important things to notice about God in the Psalms is that the affirmation of God being involved and active in his people's lives, both corporately and individually. He is concerned about our religious lives, our political lives, there is concern about the material and the physical reality of life. As the um, inward, he's been described as the helper, the shield, the deliverer, a rock, a shepherd, a threat, and a destroyer to the wicked. Just notice when you read through the Psalms, 
what God is called and what he is named and how he is described. He is involved in a committed relationship with his people. Yahweh, the mighty creator, gets involved with mere human beings and his reigning is good news for the whole world. That's what we've just celebrated at Christmas, isn't it? This is the God who we are called into a relationship of trust with. This is the God who we pray to. Our lives are in the hands of the one whom that marvellous story of scripture proclaims. And later on in this year, probably in a couple of months, we're actually going to spend a six-week series going through the big biblical story. We're going to go through in six different parts just to remind ourselves of who God is and the story of scripture that we are part of. And Jesus himself used the Psalms in prayer. The most famous example being uh, on the cross, as he lay dying, he quoted the beginning of Psalm 22. And the New Testament is packed with references and allusions to the Psalms. And the book of Revelation would fall apart if you took all the uh, references to the Psalms out. So um, Jesus and, and the New Testament writers weren't trying to use the Psalms to do any kind of exegesis. They were using rather forms of expression found in the Psalms to help them understand and to formulate and articulate their beliefs. And that's what it is helpful for us to today. So as I said, we're going to dig dig into the Psalms in the next couple of weeks. And as we study and dig deeper, I would invite you to dig into the Psalms too. Uh, You may have your own Bible reading plan already, but if you can focus on the Psalms, it would probably help us all together as we um, go on this journey. I would encourage you to try and read, well, if you can manage five a day, you'll get through the whole Psalter in a month. Um, But a friend recently said to me, one psalm a day for the rest of your life. And that's good too. If you're anything like me in the past, I've started, and by the time I've got to ten, I've kind of petered out. The first ten are really kind of familiar. But it's so rich, so try and just keep going. And um, there are bits that you won't understand, that's okay. There are bits that make you angry or not understand, that's okay too. Just write your questions down and carry on. And I'd encourage you, if you can to find a quiet place, even if it's just for 15 minutes a day, and read the Psalms aloud. Let it resonate in your body. It's poetry, and it's meant to be proclaimed. So let your ears hear the words as your mouth reads them. So in closing, we're going to look at Psalm 3 now, where we can see a model for prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he didn't tell them, he showed them. And that's what the Psalms do as well. They work in a similar way. They don't tell us how to pray, they show us. And the Psalms lead us in the kind of prayer that we actually need to learn. Really honest, comprehensive and fit for purpose. Psalms 1 and 2, if you've noticed, are kind of a preface or introduction to the Psalms. They kind of set the soldier up. So we kind of know how to approach the, the book of Psalms. But Psalm 3 is the first real Psalm Psalm. It's like the threshold to the rest of the book. So let's look at Psalm 3 and notice what we observe. Can I invite someone else to read this psalm? Because it's quite, um, you've heard my voice for a bit. Anyone like to read it passionately? and It's, it's going to be on the thing. And it's up here too. Jenny, you look like you're keen. No, probably come up and read if you don't mind. Lord, How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. 
my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Right, what do you notice? What's surprising? What's confronting? Chat to the person next to you, and then I'll get some feedback in a moment. Highlight a couple of points that I noticed, or that you know, um, 
this is a good example of. And the first uh, is the emotional arc of this person, um, which you kind of alluded to. The emotional arc of the Psalms are actually an amazing gift because um, they're very familiar to us, they're very human, um, they reflect our experience often, don't they? And John, uh, your illustration points that out. Um, pay attention to some of these shifts. Uh, sometimes it's hard to keep up. Psalm 6 is a classic example. There's only six, there's six verses of lament and this, this person is feeling so frustrated and, and God is not there. And then in the next two uh, verses, suddenly it's a switch and, oh no, life's okay. God's good. I'm all, all good. And uh, you're like, oh wow, that kind of, yeah. So there's usually emotional arcs. Sometimes you kind of don't really know where they're going. Sometimes it's up and down. Uh, the next thing to notice is the time for prayer is now. Uh, in the midst of it all, prayer often begins in desperation and conflict. Um, God, things are falling apart, I need to talk to you now. Not waiting until we're in a pious position of prayer. And quiet and calm, because some of that never reaches us. And as a mum, I'm discovering that more and more. Um, the psalmist cries out in raw emotion. He's honest. And many ascetic spiritual practices are talk about centering ourselves and keep balancing ourselves, getting ourselves to a quiet place of solitude. But actually, the Psalms give real dignity to the dire straits prayers, the ugly crying, the desperation. We're not waiting, as I said before, for a calm religious spirit or state before we start praying and talking to God. Strife is happening now and I need to talk to you about it, God. Um, We're in pain and desperation. And if this was indeed a Psalm of David, as he flees his son Absalom, um, he really was in dire straits. His family and kingdom was divided. His throne was under threat. And he was in serious deep water. But we also do see a real intimacy between um, the psalmist and God, don't we? The person knows that their prayer is answered by God who makes himself known. And the God who answers from his dwelling place is not a wishing upwards, but a growing real intimacy between the psalmist and God. And for us too, prayer isn't a vacuum. We know the story and we place uh, in our place in it as God's people, and we should if we don't um, read it again and again. Uh, we know who we are and we can pray as God's children. We don't pray to the universe, as uh, I hear some of my non-believer friends say, but we're praying to a deeply loving God who cares about all of us. Not long, Anya. <laughs> um, we call on, on him as in fact he is, not as we think or want him to be. And the intimacy we see is reflected by how raw and honest the psalmist is with God. We often surprise ourselves um, at how raw we might be feeling, and we can come to God and we can just really let it all out. Um, but God still draws near. So learn to pray your ugly prayers, your despair, your disgust, your hate, your pain. Be honest with God. The next thing we notice is that it is God centric. God is at the centre of this prayer, not the psalmist, which. Might have been David or his enemies. God is in his rightful place and there is a right perspective. It is comprehensive. The hard stuff is acknowledged, not just the good stuff. And we're going to look at this a bit more about how to pray these prayers uh, when we talk about lament psalms in a few weeks. For our part, we just need to commit to being honest to God. And remember, when we come to God with those feelings, we come in prayer to change. So God will do a work in us. Uh, if we only pray sweetness and light, we can end up having hardened hearts and bottled up bitterness, which ends up coming out even more ugly later on. The Psalms are full of the outrage of human wickedness, and the authors are not afraid to pray these prayers. 
The only safe thing to do with hate really is to bring it to God in prayer. Decentering the self with humbling praise to God, the hallmark of prayer is aligning ourselves with reality. When we pray, we begin to develop that relationship of trust. We begin to see things in right perspective. We see ourselves as God sees us. Inflated egos go down. We realise we are not the centre of the universe and nothing hangs on our shoulders. We are not the saviour of the world, believe it or not. And we see this even in this short psalm, but it is reflected in other psalms. And when we pray the psalms, we pray with and for God's purpose, for the whole of his people, the whole of his body. This is my last point. And it seems sometimes disingenuine uh, to pray someone else's prayer, the psalms. I don't know if it seems to you sometimes fake and inauthentic to use the prayers of someone else. I used to think this, actually. But we actually become anemic if we only ever use our own language. Praying the Psalms is using the prayers of the whole people of God, ancient and today. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in his book, Life Together. It's a brilliant book if anyone wants some summer reading. Um, When we pray a prayer of deep despair, even if you're currently feeling like that way, Uh, You're praying on behalf of another Christian around the world, or probably thousands of Christians around the world, who are in despair. We make room for God's kingdom when we pray the prayers of his whole people, and we pray as a member of the whole body of Christ. So it's actually not disingenuine to pray the prayers of the Psalms, even if you're not feeling um, in that particular place. I'm just going to finish by uh, concluding um, with a few suggestions and resources that might help you should you choose to use them as we embark on a new journey of prayer together. And the first suggestion I have is to buy a journal and to write down your prayers. Some of you do this already. Um, Often when I've been in this regular habit, and I'm actually not in the habit at the moment, uh, I've found deep encouragement as I've flicked back from time to time and seen what I've prayed, because you usually forget. Uh, And then I've been able to recognise where God's worked in my life. And it's deeply encouraging, and it kind of spurs me on to pray more. I did recently have this, um, I was feeling really angsty about something and really hurt actually by something that happened and I'd been carrying it around for probably a month in my heart and I'd spoken to Graham about it but it just was still sitting there and it wasn't until I got my journal out and actually wrote it down and wrote my prayer to God that I realised afterwards that I'd kind of begun to let go. Um, So I would really encourage you to, to get a journal, it doesn't have to be a fancy one. And it can help us to focus as we pray as well, as we, as we write. I'm usually less distracted by the thoughts in my head when I write. Um, the next thing uh, is Eugene Peterson's Answering God. It's a great book on using the Psalms as tools for prayer. You can get it on Book Depository or probably from the library or a Christian bookstore. And then the last thing is, um, if you like to listen to the Psalms and get the words into your spirit, um, Shane and Shane... Um, sing the psalms in an amazing way uh, and you can get that on iTunes or Spotify um, and they just they just have this real gift of singing the psalms and somehow the words just just go in so so that's it um, we're really looking forward to hearing from Mickey next week he's going to talk about um, let me just turn the page uh, we're going to look uh, over the next three weeks. We're going to look at the broad categories of the types of prayer. There's kind of three broad categories. Um, not all of the psalms fall in neatly into these boxes, but it is a helpful way to understand them. There's the psalms of praise and glory to God, which is what uh, Mickey's going to speak about next week. Also known as the hymns or the orientation psalms. Um, the following week, I'm going to look at lament psalms, um, really ugly prayers. 
and uh, also known as Psalms of Disorientation. And then the following week, Graham is going to talk about reorientation um, psalms uh, or psalms of thanksgiving. So I hope that these are helpful. Um, these are really helpful types of prayer to look at, and it's a huge gift to us actually through the psalms. Um, and I hope we're all going to be really encouraged by them. So I'd like to invite Graham and the rest of the musicians up.